As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hear that podcast growling? Hear that co-host shouting, it's Dana and Jay. All right, welcome to the latest edition to Hear That Podcast. Growling Paul Andrew Jr., Jay Morrison of The Athletic. Excited to be with you on a Tuesday. What's going on? I feel like we need a trumpet to announce our big surprise. <laughs> <laughs> I really wish you had a trumpet, Jay. <laughs> I do, too. I am not musical. At all. That's why I need help doing What about like a musical. kazoo? Like this might be kazoo. Oh, yeah. Nah, you could do that. Anybody can play a kazoo. I could play a kazoo, but I think this this warrants something more than a kazoo. Oh, okay. Kazoo sounds like kid's birthday party. This is bigger. <laughs> we, uh, yeah, we, we teased it at the end of the walkout announcement coming today. So uh, we'll have that here in a second. Here's before I get to that, though, here's everything else we got going on. Uh, big show, of course, as we are headed down the stretch run. Holiday season is upon us. Uh, we've got to talk about injuries, which um, are significant. I've got some news on that. Um, we're going to talk, uh, we're going to kind of talk about the chase for the one seed. I want to go a little bit more in depth and stuff, um, in, in what it means. I, I had our guy, Austin mock, who has created this very in depth, um, series of projection odds, um, to run a specific subset for me and the results he turned back, I thought were really interesting. Uh, so I want to go through that and kind of the path ahead as the Bengals are now 99.9% to make the playoffs. <laughs> let's talk about paths through the potential playoffs. Mo Egger is going to join us, of course, from ESPN 1530. We'll play three downs with him. I think I got a good one for him to finish with, too. Uh, I have a lot of Arby's. What a fun weekend in Tampa, Jay. Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, Great time. Cool to see everybody down there. We had lots of fan interactions. I've got a number of those I want to run through, too. Uh, so we've got we've got a bunch of Arby's to get to. We want I got a qu- bunch of questions from you guys, so I want to dedicate some time today to listener Q&A. 
Shout out to everybody watching on the YouTube channel. Good to have you all here with us. Um, thanks to Tom Brooks, who brought the trumpets for us here in the comments <laughs> section. If you have any questions you'd like us to maybe try to get to, drop them in the comments section. I've already got a bunch here, but uh, I'll get through some of those on there as well, or just anything. If you just want to say nice things, feel free to do that too. Yes, a question about Giovanni Bernard. That will be covered. We're going to talk about that in our Q&A question as well, the Geo locker room thing which jay was there for people might not realize mm -hmm. he wasn't one of the voices yelling uh but he <laughs> he was there so anyway we will uh we'll, we'll get into that we have growler bet recap which was an interesting one uh and run passer boots much much more all that stuff to get to today jay did i cover it all i believe so yeah except for so. the one big missing piece oh yeah let's talk about the announcement so um very very excited Yes. Got my 50 West hat on today, you know, felt like uh, I went and got it specifically. Uh, we've been talking about when are we going to do their live show and all of a sudden something happened. Our good friend, Tyler Dunn at Go Long uh, TD, which you, if you don't know who he is, you should. Uh, I've been on his podcast a number of times. We've talked about him. He's written incredible pieces uh, on Chidibe Awuzie. Uh, shoot, he's done a bunch, a bunch of great stuff on Cincinnati. Yeah. Every time he drops in, he's been around for a while. He does a fantastic job. He's kind of based out of Buffalo. His podcast uh, he does with a former Bills uh, director of player personnel. Um, he's coming into town. And he said, Paul. I got a bunch of people from my subscriber base that wanted to do a meetup in Cincinnati. Where should I go? I said, well, 50 West, of course. It's our place. We always do events out there. I said, let me, let me talk to Bobby and, and see if he can hook you up. And as I was in the process of it, I thought, wait, when do you want to do it? He said, New Year's Day. <laughs> well, it's a Monday night football game. New Year's Day is Sunday. I was like, you know what? Now that I think about it, what if we combine forces? What if we do a joint mega podcast event at 50 West on New Year's Day, the Sunday before the big, massive Monday night football game between the Bengals and Bills? Your people, my people, we all we come on together and we do it. How about 1230? So give everybody all morning to yep. recover from New Year's Eve, right? 12.30, the 1 o'clock window features Steelers-Ravens. Big one. And I said, that's perfect, right? Let's do it. Talk to Bobby. Said, it's going to be cold, Bobby. He said, how about a big old tent that could fit up to 100 people? Heated, TVs, everything you need. Because Bobby's always hooking us up. Yes. And he does. They've got the ice rink open, which they do. They, they get a lot of people out there. It's a lot of fun. Uh, if you want to bring your family, bring your kids. I've taken my kids ice skating. It's awesome. And their whole campus is set up out there now. Have some drinks, watch some football, listen to me, Jay, Tyler Dunn, talk about all things Bengals, Bills, big picture stuff. Uh, we'll hang out afterwards, watch the Steelers-Ravens game. If you want to hang out and kick it a little bit, meet TD, talk to me and Jay. If you want to buy us drinks, we're fine with it, but Bobby's probably going to give them to us for free because he's the best. Uh <laughs> And just going to be a really fun day. So this is it. Next live event is here. It's going to be New Year's Day, Sunday, January 1st of 2023, Jay. Uh, and come on down, 1230. We'll be in the big tent next. Uh, and this is going to be at the Brew Works where the ice rink is and everything else. And uh, Jay, myself, Tyler Dunn, a go-long 
hear that podcast growling joint venture uh, down uh, at 50 West. It's going to be awesome. In my younger days, there was nothing I dreaded more than working on New Year's Day. I, I just can't <laughs> wait for this one. This is going to be great. Um, hopefully, a lot of uh, a lot of fans will have watched the college football games on Saturday night. You can either celebrate the Ohio State win or drown your sorrows after the loss to Georgia. Listen to us. Tyler's great. I don't know how many of you guys, you should be subscribing to his site and, and following him. But uh, if not, this will be a great introduction um, just really, really quality work that he puts out. Reaching for the book. He put out yeah, this book recently, uh, Blood and Guts, about the tie demonstration, which is awesome. I keep it back here behind me. Uh, so good. I imagine Tyler might have a couple copies that he might be willing. Maybe I'll bring this one and see. Uh, maybe we'll sign it and give it away, and he can give me another one. Maybe do something like that. I'll see what he's bringing. I have a feeling he might have some goodies uh, as yeah. he shows up too, which uh, I highly recommend. Anyway, so that's that's our that's our announcement. That's our announcement. Uh, excited for that. Um, all right, I have a story up today on the concept of injury luck and how that was supposed to be a means for regression amongst this Bengals team, and it's been the opposite. Uh, injuries have actually turned over uh, a remarkable roster depth on this mm-hmm. team during this six-game run. And so I have a story up on that. Some great stuff from DJ Reader there that I had extra from Sunday night that I had to find a place to get out. Uh, so highly recommend uh, that story if you get a second. All right. Jay, let's talk injuries. Uh, yeah. The big ones, the big ones on this one, you know, are on defense. It's the edge rushers, right? Sam Hubbard. Trey Hendrickson, um, you've got Hubbard is looking, you know, two to four weeks is the prognosis on that. He's got this calf. He had this calf before. This was on a Thursday um, practice before the Browns game, but he was fine. He came back and, and played the re-aggravation of it. So I would say Ravens, you never know, soft tissue, calf stuff. Yeah. You never know when it's going to feel all the way back. A lot will depend on whether he can go, whether he should go, what is the status of their, you know, playoff hopes, right? Where seeding. So I would say Ravens looks most likely or just back for the playoffs on Hubbard. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't a case where you saw him go down. He kind of tapped out. It was back-to-back plays where he 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 jumped to try to block passes, felt the strain. Um, so it it doesn't feel long term that, that you could see him back soon and it the ripple effect there you you wonder w- with Trey Hendrickson uh, you know they talked about wrapping it and clubbing it and Lou Anaruma said that's not ideal because he needs to grab and hold on but but does this accelerate him getting back in there and then the other thing is I I thought Osai and Sample played really well um in, in those roles and they moved BJ Hill out as a as a big end um it's Losing Sam Hubbard for a game or two or three, whatever it is, is is a big deal. But it's just, as you wrote in your story today, that they have – this roster has proven to be a lot deeper than I think – certainly more than I thought so and a, a more deeper than a lot of people thought. Every guy they plug in just finds a way to get it done. 
Yeah, I mean, so much of that is about the stars that still are here, Burrow, most mm-hmm. namely on offense, and you know they have they have some stability at these, you know, safety. You got the stability of yeah. Von Bell and Jesse Bates have been there. The the linebackers have played well and been there since Reader has come back. He's a very stabilizing force for them. But you know, everybody has kind of lifted each other up. The the thing is, it's not all bad news. Uh, I think people are like, oh, Hubbard, no Hubbard, no Hendrickson. Ooh, wait a minute. Uh, there's a lot of optimism internally. Trey Hendrickson's going to play Sunday, Saturday, excuse me, against the Patriots. Um, I think they think he's, he, there's, it looks good that he, he might be able to come back. So one down, the other one back up, which is good news. You know, you, the, the, the problem is you're trying to chase down potentially Josh Allen, right, in two weeks without either uh, is a big problem. You bring Hendrickson back, what a lift that could be. Uh, I think there's a lot of hope that that's going to happen sooner rather than later, specifically um, Saturday against the Patriots. We'll see. You never know with these types of things, but uh, things are looking pretty good despite some of the um, initial things that were said about that injury. So we'll see how that turns out. Um, Cam Taylor Britt uh, has a shoulder. I think expectations are he'll be back. I know he talked to Kelsey uh, Conway of – inquire after the game and said i'm playing next week i always warn people not to listen to players after games they always yeah. say they're going to play next week and next thing you know they're in surgery like these so i think there's a there's a there's a good hope that that he will play but um tbd on that one too yeah and that that's the bigger concern I, if he can't go because you you're starting to see some some serious attrition there at cornerback with mike hilton missing this past week uh awuzie out for the year jalen davis missing um that's yes trey flowers came up with the the first corner interception of the year i i don't think that's an ideal situation if you would have to put trey flowers out there for an entire game at outside corner so uh, that will be the big one to monitor this week is if ctb can get back in there all right let's take a second and switch gears here and hear from a sponsor Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry Bahamas. I want to talk a little bit about the playoff scenarios because we're now at a point um, where we can start to narrow down. We talked a little bit on the walkout about, okay, the, the, the number one seed and the importance of that this year and what that really looks like. And I think you're starting to see it coming to a little bit of, of clarity. And there's some interesting dynamics at play here first of all the afc north is still up for grabs i mean you're still only one game clear of the ravens 
and you're still going to have to beat the Ravens in the last week of the season at this point. You've you've got different schedules for both teams. You know, Atlanta is going to Baltimore this weekend, the fighting Desmond Ritters trying to uh, see if they can earn one for Cincinnati and, and help them out. And so that's, you know, 538 and Football Outsiders have the same odds on the North battle at this point, Bengals 60-40. Uh, on the odds on that. And again, the schedule continues to play itself out. And going to New England, despite the fact that they are struggling this year, is still a chore. <laughs> Beating the Bills is a chore. And then having to beat the Ravens will be a chore. I mean, for whatever you say about them, maybe they're playing poorly, but uh, they're right there in every game. Um, and they should have Lamar Jackson back, they hope, at that point. So, um, What's your view on that? Yeah, I mean the, the the big game in my mind is is Baltimore Atlanta this week. Out, outside, all the Bengals games are big, but it does feel like Desmond Ritter and that Falcons offense found a little something. They got down early, fourteen nothing to Saints, and any quarterback making his first NFL start, you know, in the second half he played much better. The Ravens are not playing well, obviously, right now, and if if Atlanta can can pull that off and the Bengals win and get a two game lead, then all of a sudden you you've got a huge buffer there where maybe you could drop the Buffalo or the, the, even the Baltimore game at the end. The, the assumption all along is they have to win that finale, but if they could somehow figure out a way to, to get a two game lead with two to go, I mean, that would, that would be just huge and winning in new England's not easy. And I, I think it's, I think Atlanta is a seven point underdog. Um, to Baltimore, but I just you look at the way that that Baltimore offense has played, and I, if Atlanta can keep things going and challenge there, but the the, the big issue with the Bengals is win out. Um, I don't know. Will they be favored against Buffalo? I, I think they might be a point or two. Yeah, they should. They should be favored They'll against be favored in that game against. I mean, Baltimore. barring what, injuries or something that, that yeah. happens this weekend. But I think if those lines today would have the Bengals as a probably a slight favorite. If I in my mind, I'd say Bengals minus one and a half or two. Yeah, and that's what I was thinking in that range, and then maybe a little bit more for the Baltimore game. Obviously, they're three and a half point favorites at New England. I mean, it's it's all right there for them, and they, they're in this incredible hot streak at six in a row. Um, I, I do think it, it crazy is it. I mean, when they were sitting at four and four, when they were sitting at zero oh and two, you didn't really think there was any shot, even if they got hot, that you'd be talking about a a chase for the number one seed right now on December 20th. But, but here we are, you're not just talking about it being a long shot. It is realistically in play. Okay. Let's talk about those numbers. Then the uh, seed odds, football outsiders um, will give you the percentage chances. You end up in different spots right now. They have the Bengals odds of the number one seed in the AFC at 13.4%. They have the two seed at 17.8%. They have the three seed all the way up at 28.8%. There is zero shot they end up to four, 0.0. The five seed is the barely the most likely at 30.1, believe it or not. Um, it's partially because of the split you get if they win the division between two and three and one. So 
the sixth seed at seven point seven and the seventh seed at two point one. So I mean, it, it's you can you can sort of see. I mean, they're our favorite to win the division, but it, it, they could end up anywhere, man. Like there's just there's a lot of different ways that this thing can fall with one, two, three, five all in play. So my question was this because we talked about the importance of the one seed this year with this clear trio on the top tier far above everybody else in the AFC. Bills, Chiefs, Bengals, just avoiding having to win two of those games and only having to win one because the nature of they just, they feel like coin flip games. Like these two the teams are similar. You know, it's just a much easier path if you just only have to win one and the idea of having one of those in your home turf is a big deal. I asked Austin Mock, who, who does these, you know, uses EPA success rate, a, a, a massive formula that he's created to offer projections on just about anything that you're looking for. So I said, let's do this. Give me the percentage odds of the Bengals making the Super Bowl by each seed. So let's just place them into a seed. Give me the percentage chances they make the Super Bowl in each spot, trying to gauge what that looks like. Here's what it turned back, Jay. And I'm just going to say, um, I have a couple of thoughts. I'm going to be curious your instant takeaway from these numbers. We haven't shared these yet. So the number one seed, if they had the number one seed, they would have a 31% chance of making the Super Bowl. The number two seed would have a 24% chance of making the Super Bowl. The three seed, an 8% chance of making the Super Bowl. Four seed is zero because there's no scenario where they're in four. The five seed, 17% chance. Six at 5.9% chance. And the seven seed at a 10% chance. This is a really weird distribution. Yeah. Um, I'm curious if you had any original thoughts. I'm I'm kind of surprised by the the gap between two and three. Because it feels like those are almost the same, but I, you know, I guess you're gonna you're talking about if you're the three, then you're gonna most likely have to play the two the divisional game on the road, as well as the AFC Championship game on the road. What was five? Seventeen percent. Five was seventeen percent. It was yeah. If you winning the North and being the three seed is a disadvantage in, you know, in mm-hmm. this, in this way, because of the nature, I guess, of who you would play. It's a, you know, I think that four is looking like, I think potentially through models as the weak link in the playoffs, right? Yeah. Tennessee or Jacksonville, Tennessee, who's just falling through a hole in Jacksonville. I, you know, I'm not down. You know, I'm not down. On tra- <laughs> yeah. I don't, that's the last team I think you want to see a quarterback who's lighting it up right now like the Jags are, but their defense is a still a bit of a liability at times. So um, they're, they're not as well-rounded. They're certainly a tier below, if not a tier below below, uh, in the big picture, although they're trending in the right direction. But you don't want to see them. That said, I still think there's a thought they would be the weakling. So you get you get yourself a little bit easier first round game, and it ups your chances. It's just an interesting take on, you know, would you rather, you know, be a three seed and have to face who the Chargers maybe uh, at home, and then have to go 
to Buffalo or Kansas, or Kansas City, City and then again have to go to Buffalo or Kansas City or have a week one game where you're on the road, but you're playing in Jacksonville or Tennessee. Yeah, I think that's a big part of it because if, if you go on the road and that 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 four seed is not a strong team and you get that first playoff win and then all of a sudden you build the momentum and that that steers you. Um, this, I mean, the Bengals have, Obviously, they did it last year. They won two road playoff games. First time in franchise history they've won a playoff game on the road. It's interesting because they could go, what, 12 and 5 and be a wild card if that loss is to the Ravens in, sure. in week 18. I don't know that has a wild card ever had 12 wins before. I, I know you, there's more games now with the 17 instead of 16, but they could be one of the most dangerous wild cards in history. And that. Maybe that's why that's sitting there at 17%. But, um, and I'm a little surprised that the one seed, what was it, 31%, that's, yeah. that's less than a third of a chance. And if you, I don't know if his model was just basing it on, well, I'm sure he's basing on the quality of the teams this year, but you look at the, the past years, and I, I would venture to guess that the one seed, last 10 years, the one seed no, has probably made the, you can't do it that way. It's different now. I mean, that yeah, now right. with, with the, the one the being the staggered. only buy, it's a total. It's like you got to throw all that out the window. But it's almost more of a chance being the only buy. You're the only one getting that week off. Although you see Absolutely. it a lot. It's a, I mean, there, there's a much more advantageous situation. I totally agree with you. In the current status, it's just very different. Yeah, I, I mean, that's what I was saying. I would think it would be higher because a lot. I, yeah. What fifty percent of the one seeds make the the Super Bowl? It seems like every year. The one seeds are at least in that in that AFC championship or the NFC, even if you're looking at both sides. Um, I don't know. It is interesting because I don't even I wouldn't even begin to know how to create those type of odds. I think it's great work that Austin does, um, but that, that that's the one that jumped out at me was the the huge gap between the two and the three seed. Yeah, thought there'd be a bigger gap between the one and the two. Yeah, you know, because I, I feels like no matter what, if you're in that two three, uh, but again. There's a lot of different variables at, at place there, so I I still think it's it's a it's a huge deal, but uh, interesting to, to see some of that results. Market odds, Bengals four to one to win the AFC, but that they're still third there. You have, um, the Bills and Chiefs at the top, very close to each other, two and a half, three, and the and and the Bengals at four to one, uh, Bengals eight to one to win the Super Bowl. Uh, both those numbers are the best they have been since last year's Super Bowl, since they started making these lines. So um, obviously trending in the right direction. That's no secret to anybody listening to this podcast. But um, I do think it's time to start thinking about what the path could be and really just turns even more attention on how important that Bills game is going to be on Monday Night Football um, because the difference between that, you know, the two and the three will be a significant difference too. That, that is just going to be that divisional game between the two and the three in the AFC, assuming it's amongst these three. Where that thing is played at is going to be a deal. You know how tough it is to go to Arrowhead. You know Buffalo is just a unique environment, mm-hmm. uh, and you know what Paycor has sounded like in big games. There's just it, there's a significant advantage there, um, and those are going to be the games that feel like they're going to decide things. The the other interesting Buffalo at Chicago this week is is really intriguing to me because the Bears are. I mean, they gave Philly everything they wanted. Buffalo's won five in a row uh, going on the road on Christmas Eve. Um, it's a different kind of offense to deal with, with the way Justin Fields runs the ball. I think a lot of people are just 
assuming that Beng- not assuming, but expecting Bengals in, in Buffalo to win this week and then have that showdown Monday night. And I, I would not sleep on on the Bears this week against the Bills. All right, one quick run passer boot and uh and we'll take a quick break here. So let's see. Run passer boot. Who would you rather if you're if you're sitting there and you're the Bengals, you're you're sitting in Zach Taylor's seat. Uh, who would you rather host in round one? Let's say you're a two or three seed. There's kind of three teams that are kind of sitting in the front front uh, runners for those spots right now. Who'd you rather host in round one as a two or three seed? Chargers, Dolphins, Ravens. Um, I'm gonna say I'm gonna run with Chargers. Um, You'd rather face them? Uh, yeah, I yeah. I just Miami is that wild card element with that explosion. Those, those speed receivers they have where the the Bengals secondary is at the time and then Ravens I just I do not like the idea of playing a team twice in two weeks that is you you I mean I know it's happened before where a a a regular season finale and then they turn around and play in the playoffs not Bengals but other teams and it seems like the team that loses the regular season finale always turns around and wins that rematch. And again, you're talking about Miami. It was way back in week four, but beating that team twice. I just, I, I like the element of the chargers having to come to presumably cold weather. <laughs> I know a lot of people probably remember 2013 when we thought the Bengals were just going to stomp the chargers when they came in on, on a, on a cold day for a wild card game. And uh, the Bengals got trucked, but that, that would be my pick. I don't want a division. I'm, I'm booting the Ravens regardless. I just, don't think that's the best matchup for the Bengals, even though they're not playing well. They will have Lamar back at that point, or you would ass- you would assume they would. Um, so I'll I'll run with Chargers. I'll pass on on Miami and I'll boot the Ravens. Uh, I would do the opposite. I would want to see the Ravens there. I just think they're the weakest team of the three. I think they're the least explosive. I don't, you know, maybe they're good on defense, and I know there's divisional stuff there, but I I just think the Ravens um, are fraudy. Personally, <laughs> uh, I would pass on the Dolphins. Uh, I think we've seen them take a step back in recent weeks and what we, I mean, I'm still jarred by what we saw from them uh, in the game against the Chargers where Tua couldn't complete a pass. I mean, they have, and now they've lost three in a row. I just, you know, you see this trend happening with them. The Chargers are the opposite trend. They are charging, if you will. And Herbert figuring it out and is a scary situation. I think it's, it's the one team in the AFC where you're like, man, if they could get it together because they got the quarterback. Mm-hmm. They got the real quarterback that can put together a run that makes sense. So I think you'd least want to face the Chargers. You mentioned the Bengals secondary. Um, you know, if you start seeing that injury attrition and things that you're ha- having there, um, you know, that's the one I think that you are like, oh, the Chargers playing the way they are. But again, we know what Mark Duffner uh, would say about all of this <laughs> yeah. talk. They got to play us as the the motto resonating off the walls, uh, excuse me, echoing off the walls uh, in P- Paycor Stadium right now. So that's kind of where they probably stand with all this talk, I would imagine. All right, let's bring in our good friend from ESPN 1530, Mo Egger. We got a lot to get to here with you, Mo. I want to start um, with this. It's a thought that I have had. Uh, and I repeated, I think I told it to Jay on the way out. I may be, again, I never know where I say things anymore, but <laughs> I'm, I am willing to go back to 1988 because I can't speak intelligently on, on that time in the eighties. But I think since then 
this current six-game run is the best stretch of football by a Bengals team that I can remember. Would you agree or would you would you point to another time? Well, they did win their first eight games in 2015. Yeah. Um, but and, I don't think and, they were playing as good as they are now in that stretch. No, I, I don't. I don't really either. And I mean, that entire season unfolded against the backdrop of a lot of uncertainty about Andy Dalton. And there's no such uncertainty with Joe Burrow. And, and also their previous four playoff failures loomed over everything they did. And I don't really think that that's the case here. I think their success last season has combined with the way they've played this year, fueled a belief in this team. And so uh, I thought of 2015 and that's really it. I, I frankly don't know how many stretches like this you could even compare it to. I think this team is better than that team in 2015 was. And that team in 2015 went 12 and four mm-hmm. and was really, really good and really, really deep and really, really well-rounded. I, I think this team is better. It's been to me the variety of the ways they've won. It's been the quarterbacks that they have beaten. It's been how their depth has been tested and they've, they've passed uh, nearly every single test. I think this is. I think you can make an argument. This is the best uh, six-game stretch the Bengals have played since that that second Super Bowl season, easily. Yeah, the only other one that I would put in the the conversation was uh, remember when they fired Shula and they put Bruce Coslett in, and they went four and one, and that was an incredible run. But it was end of the year; they were playing out the string. It was that was really good football that they they were playing then. But this is different, and and I do agree that. That what Mo said that the way that they're winning all these games differently, and even as great as that 2015 team started, it Andy Dalton was was playing well and he was in the MVP conversation, but it still wasn't Joe Burrow level quarterbacking. And when you have these weapons, that quarterback, this defense, what it's what it's doing without getting a huge amount of they are getting turnovers, but the, not the huge way in 2015. 15, it seemed like that was way more that a lot of that was built off of, of getting turnovers. This just overall feels like it. I don't, I don't want to say it's up clear and above the best stretch, but it's, I, I put it above 2015 and that, that remarkable 96 run or was it 90? I can't remember. Those years are all running together. I'd have one more that I would drop in there and that, that there was a point in 05 leading into the playoffs that year in that time where they they beat Pittsburgh in Pittsburgh. They were creating a million turnovers. Carson in that offense was as potent as the league had seen in a while um, and up there with anybody. Although there was times in that stretch where they still weren't able to beat Indianapolis. You know, there there were times in there, there were, there were games in there where, but they were playing great where you thought, man, they could be it. But it, but I still don't think, that it compares to this in the different diversity of ways that they have won games, the the level of football their opponents have been playing at. I mean, this has been beating, you know, tough teams, great players on the road at home, Patrick Mahomes, Tom Brady at tennis, like all these games, you know, at the these games are not games that e- easily can be won. And they have won some of them easily. I mean, They've won get a bunch of games by double digits. They beat the Chiefs and left 11 easy points on the board. I mean, it's just I, I've never I've never seen them play this good um, since since I've been around. 
Yeah, I would agree. Uh, I, I don't, I, I don't know that there's been a stretch like this. I mean, just it's, it's the opponents they've beaten with the quarterbacks they've had and the circumstances in which they've had to win those games. I mean, they made a 17 point road comeback against Tom Brady seem routine. Yeah. I mean, th- that was like, I, I walked away from that game on Sunday and I was like, yeah, that's, that's kind of what you come to expect. I mean, think about that. They, they were down by 17 points and they won the most lopsided game of the weekend by 11. And it was only 11 because Tampa Bay scored a garbage time touchdown. We've, and it was just, yep, that's what they do. That's, that's what a team that's quarterback by Joe Burrow does. That's what happens if you give this team an opening and God knows in the third quarter, the Buccaneers gave them a ton of openings. That to me is what stands out more than anything. Just sort of the routine nature of what they did. And in reality, what they did is pretty remarkable when you're mm-hmm. down 17, nothing on the road. I don't care if it's Tom Brady at 25, 35 or 45. You're not only not supposed to win that game, you're supposed to get blown out and they flipped the script and were up by 17 points at one point. That's not supposed to happen. And it did. And I don't want to say Bengals fans shrugged their shoulders, but kind of did. It kind of just felt routine. No, I mean, not only is it not supposed to happen, it never has happened before. (laughs) 89 and one. Now, Tom Brady in those situations went up 17 at home. Um, All right. Three downs, Mo. Are you are you feeling prepared? Are you ready? No. Okay. I've I'm got in our Christmas bear. week mode. I'm mailing yeah. everything in. Uh, that's good. You could put it. We're gonna. I should have brought an envelope with a stamp and, and held it up for you. That's good. <laughs> no, that's good. I feel like this. I Although, feel hang like, on, hang on. I, I do. If the, if anybody has any last minute, uh, <laughs> <laughs> we're not going to do that again. We've got the we've got the book. All right, let's just take a quick break. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans, after all, it's only pressure, you got this, Adidas. I have my high uh, technology timer on my phone here ready to go again. And uh, so we're going to start with this. Three downs, you get 40 seconds to try to hit the post on a topic that you have no idea what I'm about to say. Are you ready? Mm -hmm. I can't wait. First down, Mo Egger, your feelings on the state of NFL officiating? Um. I don't, I never think it's as bad as many allege. I think what looms over all of this, I'm an anti replay guy. I believe that games played by human beings should be officiated by human beings. And now, because we have replay, we want more of it. And the more replay we have, the more we're going to demand perfection from human beings who are inherently not perfect. They're going to make mistakes. Look, I, I thought what happened in the Washington uh, New York game on on Sunday, from a pure officiating standpoint, was comical. But those were blatantly easy calls. I think this is an incredibly Five. hard sport to officiate. I give those guys a bit of a break. Wow! Right on it. It's just, 
Stamp or not, I mean, delivered, right? <laughs> That's what it's all about. Second down here. Um, all right, second down, I'm going to play one in your wheelhouse here. I'm just going to throw a nice one mm -hmm. right over the middle, and that is the Knicks' seven-game win streak means <laughs> what? Uh, this is the best stretch of – talk about best stretches of ball. This is the best stretch <laughs> of ball the Knicks have played in my adult life. Uh, look, they've done a couple of important things. They've decided to play Deuce McBride. Defensively, he's been a disruptor. Uh, Quentin Grimes has performed at a higher level than I ever would have imagined. They're forming the sort of ident uh, defensive identity that you need. Julius Randle is playing out of his mind right now. The question is, when Obi Toppin comes back, are they going to trade him? Are they going to trade Julius? Ten. They have a pretty forgivable schedule over the next couple of weeks. They're in the sixth spot right now in the Five. East. I think they can attain that. I think they can avoid the play in an actual play, real playoff games. Wow. All right, sneaking in. I, I just I thought that was just – you deserve that. You need Thank that. You. Yeah. Thank you. You've earned Christmas. Times. We yeah. got the Bengals yeah. with six straight. The Knicks with seven straight. This is high times in my life right now. It really is. All right. Mm -hmm. Last one. Third down. 40 seconds are on the clock. Eggnog, your thoughts? Eggnog is disgusting. <laughs> you can take the rest of the time and do whatever oh, you want. Quick, eggnog, quick game. You're going eggnog, up tempo. Egg, okay. Eggnog <laughs> is disgusting. I would rather lick the bottom of someone's shoe. Uh, I would rather eat pieces of broken glass. I don't know. I, who Has anybody ever shown up at a Christmas party to say, I want some eggnog? No. It's something that you drink because it's there. It's something you drink out of obligation. I'm too old to drink out of obligation. If I'm going to put something in my body, it's going to be something that I want. I don't want anything that's disgusting. Eggnog is disgusting. Wow, right on it. Perfect. Hits it right, hits it, hits it right on the button. Three perfect downs, including the fake tempo play, and then still finishing <laughs> out all the way down. I appreciate it. Eggnog. <laughs> Is is just one of those things that I is I just I can't I can't explain. It should have been in my list of unexplainables during the the lead up to the Browns game. I, I don't I don't understand how it came into our lives. I don't understand why it became a sign of Christmas tradition that we should have it at get-togethers. It makes no sense. No, no one likes it, but yet it's this presence in our life this time of year that is just unexplainable. But it's not a presence. I mean, who above the age of seventy five drinks eggnog, right? Uh, locked on Reds in our YouTube comments does. How about that? <laughs> Eggnog rocks. I, I I've never tried it. I, everybody talks about how bad it is. So I'm just like, it's, why would I try it? it it's it's terrible. No. It's, All right, it's let's uh, let's let's move on to our bets. Jay, uh, our completely fictional, not for real money, just made up for your entertainment's sake. Results say what? Uh. Bad week for me. I went under on the Bengals game, and I tried a three-team parlay, and two of the three lost. So I took a double L last week. Paul hit the Bengals minus three and a half, but he lost his parlay attempt, uh, which he had uh, Minnesota minus four, and that miraculous comeback. They only won by three. Mm -hmm. uh, Mo uh, tried the money line plus 250 on the Bengals winning both halves. They did not win the first half, but he did win Giants plus four and a half. So Paul still in a comfortable lead at plus 263. Mo plus 185. Me at plus 53. It's good to have you in the plus side. That's that's what that's it is. That, that parlay really helped last week. Yeah. Uh, all right, Mo. Uh, what do you got? 
This is going to be a very Merry Christmas. Bengals are the best team in the NFL against the spread. I think it's interesting. They're similar road favorites against New England as they were this past week. I know you're going to hear uh, we're on to Cincinnati a lot because it's Belichick after that clown show, awful loss to the uh, Las Vegas Raiders. I don't know how you're betting against the Bengals right now against a team like the Patriots who have, uh, frankly, for my money, no offensive weaponry that can challenge the Bengals. I am concerned, obviously, not having Sam Hubbard and Trey Hendrickson. Uh, their combined absences gives me some pause. I think the Bengals go on the road and cover the number, and I'm feeling it. I think we get a Christmas gift. I'm going to go two-team money line parlay. Kansas City and Buffalo both take L's. Wow. Whoa. Wow. Kansas City's walking a tightrope, man. And and look, they're going to be formidable in the postseason. And yeah, you know, playing them, if you have to play them a fourth time in, since uh, January 2nd is, is going to be tough for the Bengals. But they have a minus seven turnover differential. Um, their fatal flaw is they can't protect the ball. Their special teams has not been very good going back since before the Bengals game. Bucker misses a couple of kicks against Houston. They should have lost that game. Uh, they've been walking a bit of a tightrope and to a degree the bills have as well. They're laying a big number. The bills with a big number over the last two years haven't been great. I think we get some Justin Fields magic. And I think the uh, chiefs, I think the way they've sort of walked a tightrope in the last couple of weeks has, uh, has is going to catch up to them. And I'm feeling Christmassy. I'm feeling cheerful. We're going to have a great Christmas because uh, the Bengals are going to gain a game on both. Wouldn't that be something? Very optimistic. That money money line parlay will will pay very large fictional units. Uh, We're going big odds here. I'm I'm not unaware of the uh, the big odds we're talking about here. Uh, So I'm going to go. I I do think the Bengals will win. I don't like that hook, the three and a half. I just I, I think this could be a really tight game. They haven't won in New England since 86. Um, I, I I'm gonna skip the line and instead I'm gonna go over 39 and a half. It's not gonna be that cold. Um, Bengals might have injuries issues on defense. Uh, Patriots offense has been playing better the last two weeks. I, I think that game goes over 39 and a half pretty easy. And then I'm sticking with my parlays. I got to catch up. I'm going Atlanta plus seven and a half at Baltimore. Uh, Pittsburgh minus two and a half against Vegas. It's going to be bitterly cold that night, and you know how much Pittsburgh embraces history. They're going to be celebrating the 50th anniversary of the Immaculate Reception. I think the, the Steelers are rolling right now. They win that big, that game big. And then uh, Giants, plus three and a half at Minnesota. Seems like every time a team makes a miraculous comeback win, Vegas would be included in this. But Minnesota, with that amazing win, they they find a way to, to stumble the following week. So... Atlanta, Pittsburgh, Giants, three-team parlay. Okay, that's fair. Um, I didn't think I'd hear the Steelers are rolling right now come out of someone's mouth, but I guess I <laughs> Well, guess it's co- comparative, comparatively to where they started. They <laughs> sure. do look like they found yeah, some. Your car was in a boot, and they took the boot <laughs> off, and it still got two flats. Uh, you are rolling. That's correct. Um, all right, let's go. I'm going to parlay myself as well. Some crazy lines out there for me. I'm taking the Cardinals are getting six at home against Tampa. Tampa's just, they're just so messy. And we talked about how they have the worst against the spread line. Um, Cardinals are a total mess, but bad teams that are poorly coached in a primetime late season matchup with a lot of players feeling like the whole league is watching them, thinking about their free agent status. Give me the Cardinals plus six. Falcons, you just talked about it, plus seven and a half at the Ravens. The Ravens don't win any games by a lot anymore, no matter who. And then uh, the Commanders are going to 
are going to fall off. Um, San Francisco getting seven and a half at home. I think they just pound uh, Washington. So uh, that's I'm going to do a three-teamer. Give me 19 fictional units on the parlay. I'm going to try to put everything away and have a very Merry Christmas and throw one fictional on the Bengals' paths over it. I like that. Christmas Eve football. One of you guys should do a like a, one of your little uh, articles about uh, about the last time. <laughs> <laughs> but the last time the Bengals played on Christmas Eve, wasn't it the Lions game 2017? Smallest crowd ever at PBS. Nobody yeah. wanted to be there. Uh, that was awful. Could do that. Or the time that Brad St. Louis ruined Christmas 2006. Mm-hmm. Bad snap in Denver. That was awful. That was terrible. My former sister-in-law, <laughs> they tied the game. She comes charging in. Hey, they're going to win. Botch the snap. Mm-hmm. I look at her death stare. I mean, there's lots of <laughs> Christmas memories when it comes. Christmas Eve memories when it comes to the uh, to the Bengals. So, Randy right. Bullock should do missing the kick in Randy Houston. Bullock, yes. in, oh. in Houston. You're right. Paul that has was a very bad memory of that. Yes. yes. I remember. Well, I remember that one. Uh, that was, I remember that one well. Yes. So yeah, you remember it well, you were the only one. I don't know how many people <laughs> yeah. were watching on NFL Network yeah. that night, other than those of us that our company sent there to uh, write stories about <laughs> it that they didn't publish the next day. But I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to like talk about that. Um, <laughs> All right, Mo. This has been fun. I, I, I enjoyed all those all those memories. Um, I will see you at the Christmas party today at Moreland yes. Logger House, right? Yeah, I, this is your Wednesday, so then you have to go for me, and then go go to a nighttime cucktail. To a nighttime, guys. yes, it's, it's everything you want. Uh, but it's going to be very festive at Moreland from three to four. It I'll will be, be yes. It'll be very festive. It'll be uh, it'll be fun. All right, we'll talk to you then. Okay, guys. See ya. See you you later. Take care. Again, thanks everybody that's watching on YouTube on the YouTube channel. If you want to drop in your your likes, your favorites, say nice things about us. We appreciate that. Um, If you have questions, we're going to get to our Q and A section here in a little bit. We've got a bunch already lined up, but if you have some more, drop them in now. We'll get to that. But first, let's do Arby's J. A busy, fun weekend down in Tampa. There were lots of stories uh, that came from it. I'll let you kick it off. What do you got? Okay, I've got two. They were both on the flight to Tampa, one from the row in front of me or behind me and one from three rows in front of me. So starting with the row behind me, the guy comes down the aisle and he sees me in the seat and he leans over and he says, hey, Jay, I hope someone shits their pants this weekend. And if you remember <laughs> the, the, the the caller we had on the live room that said he had this weird good luck charm and it was someone shitting their pants, met a Bengals win. And then the guy added, I hope it's not on this flight, but I hope somebody does do that this weekend. I hope so. they're not on this flight. <laughs> the other one, then right after that, I'm watching and here comes Sarah Taylor, Zach's wife. Um, and she's three rows in front of me and she has four kids in tow and they are trying to get situated and who's in what seats and who's they were they were all, they got on a little late so a lot of the overhead bin area was already full and she's trying to wrangle the kids and get the the luggage up in the in the overhead and um she finally like looks back and sees me and I was like you are a rock star I can't believe you're doing that alone and she just said I'm an idiot um <laughs> it was it was a challenge she got it done nobody was upset um she got it done a decent time and then as we're getting off the airport or off the airplane and going through the terminal to get our rental car we see Sarah and the kids and all of their carry-ons converted into these little scooters. And it was like this scooter gang of, of Zach Taylor kids <laughs> weaving 
weaving in and out of the traffic in the airport. They knew exactly where they were headed. And uh, I, I, I assume they had a very fun weekend. Yeah, the Taylor Scooter Gang was one of my favorites. Uh, the, they, they were, they were, they were, they were zooming. That's the perfect way to put it. It was, that was great. Um, I have another one. I have a bunch here, but I have another one from the airplane that I just want to point out. It was, <laughs> it was uh, at the end of the flight. I think they had made some announcement, some who day type thing. Uh, the guy was like in a Bengals hat or whatever, and and so everyone's talking. And this guy stands up next to me, and he's like, "Huh." He, he didn't know what was going on. He's like, I'm a Giants fan. And he's like, I guess I was lucky to even get on this flight. And he's kind of realizing what's going on, and all these Bengals fans are around him. And then one Bengals fan that's next to him sort of says, says, oh, a Giants fan, huh? He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they start talking about the game and how good the Bengals are. And the Giants fan, all of a sudden it occurs to him, and he takes a real deep sigh and just looks down, and he goes, I wish we had Joe Burrow. And it was like the saddest <laughs> thing I'd ever heard. <laughs> I feel like it was he he embodied all Bengals fans over the course of the 90s and the you know it was just like uh oh man it was just a great line it had me laughing very hard. Um also I got to say you know we were around we went we were all over the place Jay. We 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 mm-hmm. we took in the sights at Tampa Bay Downs. Uh, we, we, sites so we were, indeed. They, they were sites, great people watching at Tampa Bay Downs. I highly <laughs> recommend that if you enjoy that sort of thing. Uh, we were down in Ebor on Saturday night, uh, and obviously at the game, I, I was blown away the, on the streets of Ebor. It looked like it was just the banks, like during a home game. I mean, it was insane. It was just nothing but Bengals fans. Absolutely everywhere. Uh, shout out to Bernice and Jared who said hello uh, to us. They they're from they were from Vancouver. Came in to say they love the pod. And what I enjoyed is uh, we were with James uh, James Rapine uh, from Locked On. And I said, but there's James Rapine, Locked On Bengals right here. And she said, no, no, you guys, right? I said, wait, Jake Lisko. We love Jake and James. I hope you listen to Locked On as well. They're great. Uh, He's from Vancouver. He he is like Bengals Vancouver. If Jake, if you have lost the Bengals fan in Vancouver de- Vancouver demographic, what good are you? As I was giving James a very hard time about that, but uh, very nice to talk to them. We appreciate everybody that came up and said hello uh, on uh, over the course of the trip. It was very fun um, and a really a really really fun trip to be a part of. I gotta say, I don't know if you saw this. Um, but it was Mark Slaughter from Channel Five. I think he's posted like some raw highlights of what Thirty Four Unanswered sounds like. It was a. Am- it's amazing the sound from field level. Mm. If you just close your eyes and just listen, the roars of the every Bengals touchdown. I mean, I, I just got to say, you knew when the trip showed up on the schedule. Oh, December in Tampa that there were going to be a lot of Bengals fans that would make the trip. Um. That was uh, it. Blew me away pretty good. Blew me away pretty good. How many Bengals fans actually were down there? Yeah, and I just wanted to point out too. I tweeted something later in the game where the who day ch- the who day chant had started, and people were like, "It's been going on all game. Where have you been?" And need to point out that when when we are in the press box, it's it's enclosed. It's so muffled. You don't really hear that kind of stuff. And yes, there's TVs in the in the 
in the press box, but the sound's down. So re-watching the game on TV, I was like, oh, yeah, <laughs> they were going on all game. But I just – you just didn't really hear it in the press box because there's there's people talking in there. It's, it's muffled. Uh, it's not near the volume you hear when you're sitting out in the stands. And it was – it was absolutely noticeable when you go back and listen to the TV copy that there were you could tell by the viewing there was a lot of Bengals fans there. It was it was like Tennessee, it was like Kansas City in the playoffs last year, but the the sound um, really kind of surprised me when I when I watched it on TV after the fact is just don't hear it during the game live as much. Yep. Uh, okay. Um, let's let's move on to some listener questions. Uh, I've got a bunch that kind of have come up since the game. We wanted to get to. Of course, we didn't have any live room yesterday, so we wanted to make sure we carve out some space uh, to hear from you. Let's start with this one. Um, Bryanson asking about our thoughts on the Giovanni Bernard situation. Uh, Jay, you actually were in the Tampa locker room yeah. after the game. Um, quickly set this up, what happened, and I, we have the audio of it, too, for people that haven't heard it. It's kind of gone viral and been a thing. A lot of people want to know our opinion on it. Uh, Jay, just quick, quickly set that up for me. Yeah, so the, everybody goes in for Todd Bowles' con- press conference, and I wasn't aware, you know, are we going to go in the locker room and then come back for Brady? But Brady came in before Bowles was even finished, so you have this long gap of nobody in the room that Bowles finally comes in and talks and Brady finally comes in and talks. So then when Brady's done, everybody goes in to the locker room and it's a beeline. Everybody goes to, to Giovanni Bernard's locker. And a lot of guys had cleared out by then. It was a loss. Uh, like I said, it had been a long time since the game had ended and the crowd starts kind of building around Gio's locker and he doesn't realize it. A lot of times they kind of peek, they know it's coming and they kind of prepare themselves and they turn around and say, okay, let's do this. The lights go on in the camera. The questions start. Giovanni turns around and he's stunned to see that many people there. And he says, nope, not going to talk. And he, he starts to walk away and someone said something. And, and he said, you guys haven't talked to me all year. And then the, on the video, that's when the comment comes in. What have you done all year? And then we can, we can play the video from or the audio from there. Well, you were injured all year. What have you done for us Sorry. to talk to you about all year? I, I talked to you Tuesday. You, what, just don't what? just talk. Don't say you're not talking because I didn't talk hold to you all year. Wait. You were also injured most of the season hold on, too. Can I can I go to my family that I have outside? And you all can. Of a sudden now, just just don't say we didn't talk to you we, all year. We just wanted to ask for your perspective on what happened you, there. You're involved in one of the biggest plays of the game. <laughs> okay. Thank you, Jim. I appreciate your time. We do. We won't hold you. We, we would have talked to you in the season, but okay, also you were injured. Question, Just tell us what occurred on the, on the punt. Miscommunication, that's all it was on my part. I take complete fault for that. Did, did was it a fake? I don't know. It was complete fault. My fault. That's it. Did, is it something the team hasn't practiced It's all week? me. All me. That's uh, something that I did wrong, and that's all. So you were It was aware. all on me. Yep, number 25 out there. That was me. Um, I was the one that did it. But were you aware it was, it was just a fake? Me. Yeah, I, I messed up. I understand that, but I'm just asking if you knew it was I messed up. We just up. didn't know if it was a communication Yeah, breakdown. I messed up. Thanks, dude. Okay. Yep. Thank you, guys. Thank you. So that was lovely. Um, <laughs> I mean, here's the thing. I want to say this real quick, Jay, and I'll let you, because, again, mm-hmm. you were you were in there. You were not one of those those people. You were just kind of seeing it. But um, Giovanni Bernard won the good guy award here right before he left. Mm-hmm. Um, was notably a pretty good dude with media. Um, and now 
I can say I've had experiences where he's been prickly at times. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that happens a lot of times with veterans that have been around and seen some stuff and what have you. Um, but generally, you know, a pretty accommodating guy. He has gone through a rough year. You, If you listen to us last week, we talked about this. He's been injured a bunch of the year. He doesn't have a single offensive snap. He's been used sporadically on special teams, and including, you know, Darren Simmons pointed out, I know, on, on Bengals line about how that's the first time he's been in as as the personal protector in that spot all year. So he's been through a lot this year. He's he's at the end of his career, and and this happens. Um, I think those, those are, that's all important perspective in regards to the background of this. Yeah, he was on IR for nine weeks, um, and that was that was that technically was his first offensive snap because it went as a rushing attempt for him. And yeah, the frustration obviously was there. And I I had wanted to just catch up with him and, and tell him hello. Hadn't seen him in a few years. Wanted to congratulate him on on the baby. Their their uh, their their son will be one on Christmas Day, um, and that kind of went out the window. It was it was aggressive. It was when he said no, um, and he got followed, and then. The, the interview, I don't, you just heard the audio there. If you see the video, it was kind of done in the middle of the locker room because he started to walk away. I think he realized how many cameras were up, cameras and cell phones. And in that moment thought, this is not going to be a good look, me just running away from media after it was. It was a huge play in the game. I mean, that's the Todd Bowles press conference the first three questions were about the fake punt and the, the fumble. Uh, then I think someone came in late and asked another question that had already been asked. And then it got revisited later about, did you think that was the the right decision when you guys had the game in hand to try a fake punt there? And Todd Bowles said that was the perfect time to do it. Um, so it, that's what the, the Tampa Bay angle was. Everybody wanted to know about that play. It felt like that's what really turned the tide. Um, and, I don't think Gio handled it the best way there with those answers, um, but he does get credit for stopping and talking. There were other players in that locker room that declined to talk. You you could tell how that loss hit them um, to blow a 17-point lead. They're trying to win a division, and it just it kind of goes with being a pro. You know, sometimes it, it, it it's not always good, and you do need to stand there and answer the questions. They're they're, they are required to talk after games, and um, it, that one it was a little surprising to see the aggressive nature, um, and then Geo's defense mechanism just to kind of pull the Marshawn Lynch. I'm just not. I'm just here so I don't get fined. Just saying my fault, my fault, my fault. Um, but and I I do wonder, and I don't know about this. I don't know if I don't. I know it's not the case in the Bengals, but I wonder at some places if the the they a lot of times they pipe in the press conference the head coach press conference into other parts of the stadium i wonder if he, they geo either heard it or it was relayed to him but todd bowles really threw geo under the bus for that for that missed snap mm-hmm. on the fake and and i wonder if if that led somewhat to to his attitude and just trying to get out of there before the media could talk to him there's a couple different elements to this that i think there's fault and i think it partially lays on both sides one we talk all the time about giving credit to people that stand up in tough moments kickers Mm -hmm. jacoby myers if you saw him talking after he makes that play in new england it's part of it right like if something like that happens 
you know, there's just a lot of respect that I have for people that stand up there and and own it, right? I mean, there's a leadership in that across the locker room. There's a respect in, in that that I think comes with it. Doesn't mean that they owe it to anybody. Doesn't mean that Giovanni Bernard owed it to these people to discuss the mistake at all. But I I, I do I, I I that's why I have so much respect for people when those tough moments when they do stand up because it is hard to do. You do just kind of want to walk away. Secondly. This type of stuff, I'm not going to say it happens all the time, but it happens. After mm. losses, I've been in a lot of losing locker rooms. Stuff about like questions asked, people who should or shouldn't talk that are snippy, maybe not quite like this, but it does happen a lot. But it belongs to happen in the locker room and stay there. The TMZ nature of this, of I'm going to take this video and I'm going to post this video, I hate it. I did not like that. It was it it felt over the line. If there's a discrepancy in how information is acquired and that is a thing that happens between the media and a player, that's fine. Like those are things that happen. But the idea of I'm going to air this out to try to what? Like embarrass Gio to catch him in a real moment of of human frustration. Like I hated that. I hated that part of it. I don't mind the rest of it. And, and how Gio handled it after that of being like, fine, I will stand here and answer the questions is fine. I, 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 If that was just left and it didn't become a video and a viral thing and it was just an interaction had in the locker room that was between those people, to me, okay. That's how it went down. It was awkward. A lot of times things are awkward after losses. I, I didn't like the, the TMZ look at me posting yeah. the video. And it it it's I, I wonder because it was such a bad look and there's an NFL rule like each outlet can only post 45 seconds of video of interview video per day and they have to take it down within 24 hours. And that doesn't happen. It doesn't happen in a lot of places. And I wonder if if something like this could could spark the NFL to start looking at that a little closer and police it a little bit more because it is it seems like everything has to be on video now, not and not just the 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 confrontational stuff like this it seems like every single interview is out there on video and might be something that the nfl takes a look at well i mean they should enforce their own policy sometimes yeah i don't but this type of stuff doesn't belong out there like that that no, was to was, me that was the unnecessary part um okay let's go next question coach minnick uh our guy who we we enjoy great follow if you don't uh asked a question about how many comebacks zach taylor has had <laughs> Um, and where that sort of ranks to the past. And what do you got, Jay? So of his 26 wins, 19 have been come from behind nature. Uh, that that's not the most in Bengals history because Marvin had 131 wins and 69 of his were, were comeback wins. That's trailing at any point in the game. But when you look at percentage of wins with Zach at 73.1 of his his wins have been comeback nature, that is the most of any Bengals coach besides Dick LeBeau, who had 10 of his 12 wins could become from behind 83.3%. I did look at uh, at comebacks of seven or more points and 10 or more points. And um, Zach already has 10 wins of seven or more. Marvin, of course, the leader at 35 uh, 10 or more point deficits over deficits overcome. Zach's had five of those already. 
Uh, Marvin had 13. Sam had 11. Zach is already third on that list with his five. Um, and it, it, same, if you just look at what these coaches did in their their first four years, um, Zach's 19 come from behind wins are more. Marvin had 18. Sam had 17. So, okay. yes, Marvin, Zach is getting it done in the nature. It's just, I mean, you're going to fall behind in games. Um, and the ability to this team to over to overcome it and come back time and time again is notable, especially when you look at his first season where there was no coming back two and 14. Uh, what, what he's really done these last three years has been impressive. Yep. Uh, a question, next question from Wyatt Gildia. Why did Bengals players grade so low on PFF? Uh, PFF did have a lot of, um, didn't have a ton of high grades um, on the Bengals from this game. I think there's a couple things at play here, people that are wondering about it. Well, one, they did play bad for a half, okay? Mm -hmm. And, like, when PFF's grading every snap is equal, um, you have a, a bad half and a good half. Um, also, you know, they're not going to get high grades necessarily on a lot of the turnover stuff. Um, which was th these clearly game-changing plays. I mean, you get some. Trey Flowers with a nice grade. You know, people like the DJ Reader, of course, another nice grade. That's consistent for him. But, I mean, when you have the turnovers being such a big part of it and, you know, how much credit are they giving to the Bengals for what happened with the Brady fumble, right? I mean, or, mm. or the, the one that went off Fournette, or, you know the thing that happened with Bernard. I mean, the, the Bengals aren't necessarily getting credit for that. You still have Burrow with a nice grade, of course, and, and things like that. But when you have kind of one good half, one bad half, I think, you know, you're you're not going to get all these grades in the 80s and 90s because half of those snaps are were, were troublesome. Yeah, and Jonah, um, one of the higher grades on the team, that, that hasn't happened a lot, and uh, – Tyler Boyd next to Burrow, highest grade, just heck of a performance by him with the broken finger. Anytime you score a touchdown, yeah, your your grade's gonna be higher. Um, but I one thing I thought was really interesting, um, the what we talked about catching the ball is one thing for Tyler Boyd, but blocking with that with that finger like that is gonna be really tough. I remember there was one play where he had a great block to spring, I believe it was Chase. Uh his run blocking grade in that game was 89.8. The next highest Bengal was 60.1. So again, a heck of an effort by Tyler Boyd in that game. Yeah. I mean, in talking about blocking, you mentioned Jonah Williams who, who had a nice grade. He has really turned his season around a little bit. I mean, he was a guy who we were taking rightful shots at and, and there was a lot of criticism around the bye week. Uh, he hasn't had yet. PFF hasn't attributed a sack to him since then. Um, and he certainly had, you know, some some moments, but he's been amongst the best tackles in football since then. When you, as far as pressure allowed and things like that, he's had a couple had a couple nice plays. I know on one burrow scramble where he laid out two dudes after a, a stunt kind of got free and mm -hmm. and helped helped get Burrow free uh, to the sideline. I think he has really responded to I think some of the fire that he was under. You know, the Bengals. Wanting more out of him, uh, and it wasn't happening. We were talking about regression, and now you're, you know, maybe you're kind of seeing that start to even itself out as he's put together a, a decent little stretch here over these last few weeks. Um, all right, let's go to the next one here. 
Uh, Nick Terry, was this the first game with a touchdown to all of the big three? It was. That yeah. surprised me. Like when I when I uh, came across that, you know, I I guess I just kind of thought that that's had definitely happened before, but sure as sure as heck, sure hasn't. It turns out this is the first time that Boyd, Chase, Higgins have all had a touchdown in a game together. Yeah, someone tweeted that during the game, and I, I did look at it right after the game, and I looked it up, and there was one game where two of the receivers and Mixon had a receiving touchdown, but yeah. this this was the first time it was each of each of the three, and that is a little surprising. But then again, you're only talking about what thirty possible games where it could have happened because none of them played in Week 18 last year, and well, really even less than that because. Chase missed four games this year, so there's only 26 possible games where it could have happened. Higgins has missed games. I mean, they've missed games, yeah, and that's fine too, playoffs, but still you feel like you see them all scoring all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of wild that we haven't had one um, where they've all scored. Um, okay, also first time in a game that all three receivers and Mitch Wilcox have scored a touchdown. Don't forget that. <laughs> first career TD for Mitch. Um Okay, next from John Harth via email. No Trent Taylor backflip in the victory formation in the last two weeks. Said his eight-year-old was sad, and he was too. Um, Trent has been on the injury report with a hamstring the last couple of weeks, and he's out there gutting it out, playing through it. Um, but I think the idea of potentially re-aggravating it, doing a backflip in the victory <laughs> formation, uh, might set up the coaching staff a little bit. So I'm assuming they have told him to, hey, until you're fully healed, maybe we, when we calm down on the uh, – on the back flipping. Yeah, he also played a lot of snaps uh, last week. Um, so that, it's not like he's coming in fresh and doing the backflip. And um, I, I can't remember. I know you posted the snap counts. I can't remember how many Trent played um, on Sunday, but that'll that'll play a role in it too. If he's been out there blocking and, and running around all game, you're not likely to see a, a backflip. Um, all right. Let me uh, go through some of these questions here real quick. Uh is Mixon's low yards per attempt concerning to anyone else from Zachary Boone? Um, not really. I mean, I think they've still been consistent in the running game. And, you know, again, he's been the most efficient running back in football since week five. So I I, I still think there's overreaction. They're running, the running game as a whole didn't really do anything against the Bucs. Mm-hmm. Um, that was just kind of the case, and they were having so much success throwing it, being efficient down there. And and they were also, you know, they spent a lot of time down the red zone. So many plays in that second half were down where they were just – where you've got it much closer to the line. It's harder to get. They far When you're not taking any snaps on your side of the field, where the field's more spread out and you can get space in the run game, it's going to be a little bit more hard charging, and I think that was sort of the case in that one. Um, let me go back up to the top here. See if I can find anything. Uh, I talked about the Bengals fans. Saw that question from Kyle Nepper, so we'll, we'll skip over that. Um, all right, let's. Okay, we'll let it go. We'll call that enough. That's a lot of questions, Jay. We covered a lot of ground yeah. there. Uh, all right, let's go to the Growler bet from last week. Growler bet from last week was up going to be what the difference was in passer rating between Joe Burrow and Tom Brady. Where'd that land, Jay? Uh, yeah, I said Burrow by 33.3. You said Burrow by 22.4. It was Burrow by 12.4. And nobody, once again, hit it. We've had one winner all year. 
One winner. Yeah, one winner. Uh, it was the Saints game, the Taysom Hill passing plus rushing plus receiving plus return yards. And uh, Paul Grega won that one with 55. But we had a lot of so closes. But we have not had a winner since then. Um, so reminder to Paul, come on down to our live show at 50 West on New Year's Day and collect mm-hmm. your winnings. And maybe, and I feel like maybe on Thursday we will try to make this weekend's Christmas growler a little more attainable <laughs> and uh, for somebody that wants to come down to the show on New Year's Day and collect. I don't know, just a feeling. Christmas spirit might be flowing. Um, want to shout out Mark Grayson, who had my favorite subject header, avocado-flavored growler in, in honor of Tom Brady. Um, also, shout out to David Evans, who sent me Trey growlers uh, as, a, uh, as a subject header, and Trey ends up with the first cornerback interception of the year, which we'll touch on in a second. And then uh, Christopher Shoemaker with Growler in the Sun, uh, which is an old big brother holding company Janis Joplin song. But he also had an answer of 12.6. Mm. Oh, so close. So close. 12.6. It's like one more completion. I mean, right on it. Also, shout out Andy Bax. 12.1. So close. So close. <laughs> uh, but, but alas, no. No beer for you. Um, but appreciate all the submissions. All right, run, pass, or boot. Uh, recap. The first corner with an interception paid off with Trey Flowers, uh, winning that one. Did we have him? Was he? Did we? Did we do other? We didn't do other because we didn't know who to disrespect and have you know <laughs> it be like cornerback one, cornerback two, or cornerback three slash other other. So we just said the odds of it being another aren't are pretty low anyhow. So that that one just gets marked in red as no winner at all. No winner at all. Well, what was our run pass boot last week? Uh, it was what will happen first. First Brady pick. First Brady sack. First Brady touchdown. And. The touchdown came with 14-17 left in the second quarter. Uh, that was your run. It was my pass. So you took the win on that one. Uh, also on the growler bet, you are now, you with you winning that, you are now 7-4. and four. So I need to run the table in the final three games to, to get a split in the regular season. Continues to feel good. Uh, <laughs> all right. Uh, thanks to everybody for listening. Again, we'll yes. be back on Thursday uh, for our preview of Christmas Eve, Bengals at Patriots. Um, short week this week, so there's going to be a lot to get to because we'll have a couple of days worth of time in the locker room and media t- media uh, availabilities uh, to discuss. And then we will have the walkout uh, that will be recorded as Santa is in the air. Uh, and, uh, then we will, uh, of course lead up to the bills, Monday night football game reminder, new year's day, 1230. We're going to do a live podcast with Tyler Dunn of go long TD, uh, myself and Jay and him. We'll have a nice warm heated tent, uh, out at 50 West drinks will be served. Ice will be skated on football will be watched. It will be a great time. Very much looking forward to it. Come on out. We hope to see you guys there. All right. Fun show. Appreciate hearing everybody. And uh, 
Talk to you next time. Have a good one. Hey, football fans, this is Diana Rossini from The Athletic. Get the top stories in pro football snapped directly to your inbox with our latest NFL newsletter, Scoop City. Jacob Robinson and I will bring you the daily scoop of top NFL articles, posts, and podcasts every Monday to Friday. Sign up for free now at theathletic.com backslash scoop.